Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 21 is where we'll be. I want to start off this morning with something uh, exciting. Um, Our church planter in East Asia that I just mentioned uh, just saw their first person come to Christ this past week. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And I think that's worth celebrating this morning. Good, y'all clapped. Y'all aren't a clapping church. I want to change that, all right? Uh, I want to change that. That's a good thing, uh, that God saved a person all the way on the other side of the world. And uh, just think, last year, there was a person on the other side of the world that had never heard about Jesus, and, before, and we as a church sent out a missionary to an unreached area, and now we have a church being planted there where we see someone come to faith in Christ. And this missionary we sent out actually uh, sent us a video, and we're going to show it on December 3rd for Communion Prayer, shameless plug. And in that video, he's asking us to pray for this particular young lady. And little did he know that she would become a believer right after he sent that video. Now, a couple of things that should excite us when we hear that. This should inspire us as a church to be willing to send more people out for the sake of the gospel. And we say this all the time that a healthy church is not just about uh, the seating capacity, but the sending capacity. We want to be a church that's faithfully sending people out. But this also should help us see a bigger picture of the church. Uh, The fact that Integrity Church is connected to another church on the other side of the world should make us absolutely ecstatic. This is not just because we see another person enter into a relationship with Christ. That's a given. But what also should excite us about this is we get to see a bigger part of what God is doing through the churches throughout the world. God's goal throughout the Bible has been that the church would be one in the sense that they are all connected uh, to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so this is the plan that we're going to see in Scripture this morning. This morning, we're going to see how this plan was put together through a man named Abraham and what Jesus does then to fulfill this plan. And my goal is, as we look at this text, for us to appreciate the redemptive plan of Jesus Uh, so that we might raise up more missionaries and church planters to be sent out to make much of Jesus. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, here's what's happened in the text so far. God speaks to an unlikely candidate, uh, Abraham, to be one who would raise up a people that that the world had never seen. It would be a people that God would actually call his own. Uh, Abraham is an unlikely candidate for, for this mission because Abraham did not have an offspring His wife was not able to conceive. Uh, Abraham was, the text says that he was as good as dead, which means you're really, really old. And he came from a pagan family. But nonetheless, God calls him out and he tells him to go. And this would require incredible faith from Abraham. God would tell him to go and find this land, and uh, he would be an offspring. He would have an offspring from the people, and he would he would have to then trust God of the details of where and how. Where are you going to send me? Where is the land that you promised me? How are you going to give me an offspring? My wife can't have any children. I'm really old. How is this all going to happen? And so what he does is he begins to trust God. And this begins in Genesis chapter 12, where he gives Abraham this promised people and promised land. And then what happens after that is nothing. In fact, 
things actually get worse for Abraham. If you look in Genesis 13 and Genesis 14, you see war, you see famine. You're thinking, okay, he gives this promise to Abraham. It seems impossible. Abraham's trusting God. Certainly it's going to happen soon. It doesn't. Things actually get worse for Abraham. Worse for Abraham. His nephew is kidnapped. He has to go rescue him. Things get worse. But what God is going to show Abraham is that while he waits, he gives him more and more of this picture of this promise that he's showing him. And he, he's realizing then that this promise is bigger than he ever imagined. And that's where we pick up in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, after the war, after the famine, after all these things that happened, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir, for your very, your very own son shall be your heir. Now, uh, Eleazar of Damascus, we don't know much about who this is. Some scholars say that he may have been a slave who lived with Abraham, um, but we know that his name means God is help. And Abraham uh, seems to think that this is his heir, but the Lord says, no, it's going to be your own son. And then he continues, verse 5, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, we said this last week, the phrase he counted it to him as righteousness literally means that God granted Abraham faith to believe. And it's much like what he does with us. If we believe the gospel, it's uh, God's unmerited favor to him. But notice what God says to Abraham. He says that Abraham's offspring would be like the stars of the heaven. God is going to make Abraham's offspring like the stars of heaven, meaning there's going to be a lot of them. Later on in Genesis, he's actually going to say it's going to be like the sand that is on the seashore. And it will be nations of all the earth. And this is why we have the famous Sunday school jam, right? Father Abraham, many sons, many sons have Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, good job. Left arm, right? Stand up, turn around. All these songs, right? Now, I, the theology in that song is actually really, really good. This promise to Abraham is the whole reason why we're here this morning. And it's extremely important that we understand 
how this works in God's redemptive plan. Now, don't miss the way to this. A lot of people misinterpret this and they miss the depth and the beauty of this promise. Uh, Some interpret Abraham's many sons as the physical descendants of Abraham. Although that's true, it's meaning that his children, which led uh, Jacob and his 12 sons to become eventually the nation of Israel. Now, but, but here's the thing. If you believe that it only applies to Israel, the physical nation, you will miss the riches that this promise actually believes. And and here's the problem with that. You're just staying in the Old Testament if you do that. You're just staying in the Old Testament and you're not allowing the gospel to shape what it means that Abraham would be the father of many nations. So let me take you then to the New Testament to show you how this promise ends up. Now, we're not normally wired to do that. Like, we're not normally wired to see something and realize that this, how, the, how the story works later on. We, we actually try to avoid that. Um, we're used to TV shows, and TV shows, like, we don't want the spoiler alert. We don't want someone to ruin it for us. Like, I remember before I saw Sixth Sense, they were like, Bruce Willis saw dead people. And it's like, oh, thanks a lot. Now I'm going to watch it through a completely different lens. Uh, We grew up in a completely different uh, generation when it comes to TV shows. When I was a kid, we had to tape TV shows to not miss them. Can you be there early before I get there and start hit record and hit record before I get there? Like when we first, Jess and I first started watching Lost, it was like, who could get home first? Who could put the VCR, like who could turn that on and that big honking tape that goes in there and you hit record? Oh my gosh, I made it. Good, Ben's can home. When it was done... He can fast forward through the commercials, right? You have no idea what I'm talking about. But now you can binge watch shows. I love that because when things like Stranger Things come out, I can, we can watch it, and it really comes down to who can watch it the fastest. Some of you watched it the, the weekend that it came out, and others have more self-control. God bless you. And what ends up happening is the people who've watched it and they've seen the whole thing, they know that someone else is watching it, but they're not yet caught up. So the people who have watched it, they have like a, their own little weird cult conversations about it. Say, like, hey man, did you see what happened? Yeah, man, the Demogorgon. Oh, they haven't watched it yet. Let's wait. Let's see what happens. Hey, what's up, man? Good. Good. Yeah, you watched it? Yeah. Yeah, where are you at? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, uh, yeah, we, can't, we, we don't want to tell you what happened, though. We don't want to tell you. We don't want to rule. Okay, that person leaves. Okay, this is what happened. This is what went down. And you go back into it again, right? And the last thing you want is someone to ruin it for you if you haven't finished it. Now, here's the thing about Scripture. It's good for you to actually know what happens in the end. It's good for you to know how it plays out because as you're seeing this story in Abraham's life, you need to know when God says there's a promise to you and this is what it looks like. It's good for you to know what it looks like so that you can then read this with greater appreciation. Now, TV shows don't work that way. The Bible works that way. It's good for us to say, okay, when he talks about these, uh, these descendants that are coming from Abraham, it's good for you to know it's not just an ethnic people, but it's a spiritual people. And that's what he's going to explain in Galatians chapter 3. So turn with me, if you will, Galatians 3. In Galatians, we see 
a group of people called the Judaizers who were actually harassing the Gentiles, the non-Jews who have become Christians. And he's, they're telling these non-Jews, these Gentiles, you should act more like a Jew. I know that you're a Christian, but you should act more like a Jew. You, could be, you should become circumcised. You should obey the Old Testament law. You should do all these things. And what the problem was, the Judaizers were adding to the gospel. And, and, and Paul comes on the scene, and even Peter, who's a mature believer, who was a Jew, who became a believer, and Paul's telling Peter, who, who started to uh, be persuaded by these false teachers, the Judaizers, and Paul confronts him to his face, and then he begins to explain these words in Galatians chapter 3. Start in verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you works miracles among you? Do they do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then he says these words. Notice who he talks about next, verse 6. Just as who? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as Righteousness. See what Paul just said? He's basically arguing, okay, you think you're saved through the law. You think you're saved because you're an ethnic people and you come from this certain race. No, 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 no. You weren't saved that way because Abraham wasn't even saved that way. Abraham was saved through faith. God granted him faith. And then Paul is going to talk then a lot about Abraham. Notice what he says. Verse 7. Know then that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessing, blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so what Paul did is he didn't even acknowledge the physical descendants, the Israelites. What he acknowledged is who? The Gentiles. He acknowledged those who were in Christ. So this is not just a discussion then about the physical nation of Israel. It's really a discussion about faith. Notice what he says next, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ, listen, in Christ, the blessing, blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the world, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. How does the blessing of Abraham come? 
Is it come through an ethnic group of people? No, it comes through the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit of God that draws you into a relationship with him. And he says, when, when God gave Abraham that promise, that's what he was talking about. A spiritual people that would rise up through the work of the Holy Spirit, drawing people to faith and repentance in Christ. And then he adds even more to this in verse 15. To give you a human Example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, and it does not say, notice what it says, it does not say to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. See what Paul just said? The seed of Abraham is singular, and it's Christ. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about what Matthew says in Matthew's gospel when he gives you the genealogy of Christ. The genealogy of Christ, Matthew's audience is the, are the Jews. And so Matthew's intention is to start the genealogy of Christ by starting with Abraham. And Abraham and all the descendants that came from Abraham and then on and then on to end up to being the birth of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying is Jesus Christ came from the physical line of Abraham. And through Jesus Christ, then there the offspring continues. Those who repent of their sins and believe in Christ, those are the ones who continue to belong to Abraham, meaning the rest of the world. And this is really the point of the promise. The point of the promise are believers, believers that would scatter the world. Did Abraham know that when he heard it? No. He's thinking, okay, I'm going to have a big old family like Eastern North Carolina. All these cousins and grandbabies and, you know, bunches of different kids with, you know, red hair and freckles and all these things. No, no, no. He's not talking about that. Not talking about that at all. He's saying it's a spiritual people. Abraham would have understood it as, I got a big family. No. Yeah, you got a big family. It's Every tribe, tongue, and nation that God calls out and calls his own. And so we get to be a part of the promise. We get to be called the spiritual people of God, the spiritual Israel. In Romans, Paul gives a lengthy debate on ethnicity and how it has nothing to do with a person being saved. It's really being saved is all about grace. He says it in Romans 9, verse 6. He says, For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because, of their, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, you shall, your offspring shall be named. This means that it's not the children of, Ab- of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. See, Paul isn't talking about a physical nation. Rather, he's talking about a spiritual people. He's talking about those who would love Jesus. Now, a couple of different ways this should change the way you see the Bible. First of all, it should change the way that you see the here and now. Right now, believers 
are ones who make up a nation. We are a part of a nation. We are a part of uh, a royal priesthood, as Peter says. We're a spiritual nation who belong to Christ. God doesn't deal with us as a physical nation. He doesn't deal with America, the United States as a physical nation. He's dealing with believers as a spiritual nation. God's spiritual nation makes up believers all around the world. And so this is why when we hear uh, for, of someone on, on East Asia coming to know Christ, we say, man, that's incredible. They're a part of the church. They're a part of this spiritual nation that was promised to Abraham. This is why we get excited about that, which means in the gospel, there is no greater race than the other. We're part of the same thing, part of the same. This is why we can say the church is a family. It is a family. It's a holy nation. It's a royal priesthood. It's the church. It's the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is the head. And all this comes again from the promise of Abraham. So this should shape the way that we see the here and now. But not only that but also should shape the way that we see the Old Testament and the people of Israel. This helps us see why they were God's chosen people. They were the the physical descendants of Abraham, but they existed primarily so that Christ would come. And Paul continues this argument then throughout the next several chapters of Romans. He, He did Romans 9 where he talked through, okay, it's not about ethnicity, it's about a spiritual people. And later on in chapter 11 of Romans, he uses the analogy of branches. He says that Israel is like an olive tree, and we believers today benefit from that olive tree, even though the olive tree was broken off. He says this in Romans 11. He says in verse 16, he says, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so that the whole lump and the root is holy, so, they are, the, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in, some of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, you're grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree and do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you'll say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Let me tell you why. This is so weighty and so important. It's evidence that God gets the glory for everything. Abraham would have heard this. This is about my physical descendants, but it's really about a spiritual people. Well, what about the physical descendants? Well, think about what happened in Israel's history. People in Israel trusted God in the same way that Abraham tried to trust God. To trust God and believing that God would would provide a redeemer, people died believing that. People starved believing that. People were constantly persecuted believing that. Israel would hear this promised Savior and a remnant would believe and await the coming Christ. But God gets the glory for these people because they brought about the coming of Christ. God used them even in their disobedience to bring about Christ. Branches were broken off so that the Gentiles will be grafted in. And I want to tell you that God does this all the time throughout history. I remember when I was a freshman in college and I worked at this uh, Christian summer camp as a counselor. And I remember there's this one week that we had these students come in. And it's just kind of a hodgepodge. You like never know. Like I was in upstate New York 
and you never know what kind of students would come in that you'd have to work with. And I remember one week I had two other counselors I was working with, and we had uh, this church bus show up with all of these um, youth group kids from rural Virginia. And then we had another bus come in from the inner city where they just gathered all of these troubled kids together that had never been exposed to the church or the gospel. And they were going to then share the same cabin together. I don't know who planned this, but it was not planned well. So here you have all these kids. They're, you know, they're listening to their, you know, music that they get and they bring in. All these kids are like, listen, this is like, you know, the 90s. So it was like Stephen Curtis Chapman and Christian music. And so we're like, you know, they don't share anything similar. They're dressed completely different. It's like all of these things. Nothing is the same. And I remember um, I would, be, my ministry was more toward the inner city kids. And so I remember working with this inner city kid who, uh, he, his parents were from Japan. He was born in the USA, um, but he spoke Japanese uh, and some broken English. And I, I, again, from the inner city, his parents just sent him to this camp just because I think he had some trouble and they were trying to get him you know, grounded and they were not believers. And I was sharing the gospel with him. His name was Chris. I was sharing the gospel with him and he said, I cannot become a Christian. I said, why can't you become a Christian? I began to share the gospel with him, telling the truth. He says, until you can tell me how all of my ancestors lived for centuries, not believing in the Jesus that you believe in. And they believed in all these other ancestors. They trusted all these other ancestors. But you can tell me why a loving God would do that for centuries. And based on your Bible, God would send them to hell until you can convince me in an argument that makes sense to me how a just God can do that. I will not become a Christian. I was 19 years old when I was challenged with that, okay? Working through that philosophically was impossible. So I think I landed with like the Jesus changed my life, so he's got to be real kind of argument, which is nothing wrong with that argument, and it did, but it did not satisfy Chris that day. But there are many complicated reasons why God did that to Chris's family, but based on what we just read in Galatians and Romans, can I just offer perhaps one thing, just one thing out of many possibilities that perhaps God may have been doing in Chris's family? What if one out of many possibilities, one reason why Chris's ancestors lived was so that Chris would inevitably be born and eventually hear the gospel. Chris cannot be an adopted son of God unless he is spiritually, or excuse me, physically born. And perhaps God used all the non-believers in his past, all the ones who lived their life and rejected God in his past in order to bring about Chris into the world so that Chris would eventually hear the gospel. Now, I don't know if Chris is a believer today, but I do know this. He heard the gospel that week. And that means that Chris heard the gospel was that God sovereignly placed him in a camp 
But hundreds of years before that, God sovereignly worked through his unbelieving family members so that Chris would be born. And so how is it that you and I are here today? God used the Israelites as a special nation, mostly an unbelieving nation, but there was a remnant who did believe within Israel, and they would serve as a picture, a failing picture of us, the bride of Christ, and that God would, God would use them to bring about the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Now, I tell you all that because when you see the promise to Abraham, God isn't just talking about just a big family. When God says the stars in the skies, the sand on the shore, he's talking about believers. He's talking about believers in Greenville. He's talking about believers in East Asia. He's talking about believers in Africa. He's talking about believers in the 1200s and the 1500s and the 1800s and the 2000s and 2017. And this is why many sons had father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. This is why. Believers. Now, let me take you back to Genesis to show you how this all happened. Now you can breathe. Genesis 15, verse 7. He says this. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now, we don't know the events that took place between verse 7 and verses Uh, verses 6 and verses 7, but God is reminding him that he would fulfill the second part of his promise. Not only would I give you a people, but I'll also give you land. So how would people know that God would have him have this land? Like today, we have contracts that you have to sign, but it wasn't like today in the sense that you have a 30-plus page contract to sign, and you go through every line, and you have a signature. The way that contracts were done in those days was actually really weird. If you look in verse 8, It begins, it says, uh, verse 9 rather, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all, all of these, cut them in half, and laid each over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. You guys get that? Good. Let's move on. I'm just kidding. This is odd. This is sort of like some kind of weird witch potion that God is asking him to come together. But Abraham strangely knew what God was trying to do. He cut the animals in two and placed each piece on the opposite side Abraham would, have act, would actually have understood this. In those days, contracts were made by the sacrificial cutting of animals with the split carcasses of the animals laying on the ground. And then both parties, this is how a contract was written. Imagine if you're buying a house today and you cut up animal pieces and lay them in the front of the yard on both sides. And one person would have to walk through to agree to the contract. And then the other person who agrees has to then walk through on the other side. Both people have to walk through the trail of blood. And the point of it is odd. It's trying to show you that this contract is so serious that it requires the shedding of blood. 
and saying, you're going to have to die if this thing is broken. That's what the point of it was. If you mess up this part, you are going to die. Now, Abraham believed as he prepared this contract to be written or not written or walked through or whatever you say. In fact, even he believed it because as Genesis 15 verse 8, it says, the Lord God made a covenant. It actually, in the, in the Hebrew language, it says the Lord God cut a covenant, covenant. That's how it was supposed to be made. And Abraham is waiting for God to come down physically and walk through this carcass, these carcasses to show that he was serious. He believed it because in Genesis 12, God actually revealed to him. So he knew, okay, God is going to presently walk through this together, but nothing happens as he waits. Nothing happens but birds, vultures that come and try to eat the carcasses. So as he waits, look at what happens. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. And I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age, in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for their inquiry of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. And behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord God made or cut a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I will give you this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, to the river Euphrates, and so on. Two things I want you to see here. Abraham is promised that the physical nation of Israel would face hardships. He actually gives him a foresight of what would happen in Exodus 1, that they would face tremendous persecution. But remember, the branches had to be cut off so that Christ would come, which brings us to something more. As Abraham waits for God to fulfill and walk through this contract, Abraham's assuming that God would walk through it and then he would walk through it. But what happens? God actually walks through it twice. God walks through it as a smoking oven and a burning torch. If you remember in Israel's history, the way that God would show that his presence was with God's people was through a cloud by day and fire by night. And this is God saying, walking through it in both ways, because he knew that Abraham couldn't keep his side of the contract. Instead of Abraham walking through on his part, God walks through God's part, and God walks through Abraham's part. Because he knows Abraham has nothing to offer this contract. What does Abraham have to make this contract work? He doesn't have an offspring to provide. God had to provide that for him. He doesn't have money to buy this land. God provided this land for him. He doesn't have anything to offer. And what this is supposed to show us is a great picture of the gospel. We can't do our part to save ourselves. God has to provide that for us. And how did he provide that for us? By the shedding of blood, through sending his son 
to die. So he's saying, you can't fulfill this covenant. You can't be a part of Abraham's offspring in your own strength. You can't obey a certain amount of rules and then magically become a person of God. No, it had to be done fully and solely on God. And that requires then faith for you to believe that God is going to do both sides of the contract. He's going to do his side by being God and being just and and being marvelous and glorious and sovereign over all. But he's going to say, I'm going to do your part too, because I'm going to send my son to die in your place. And all what that requires for you then to become a believer is to have faith and believe that he's done both sides of the contract. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. This is why Paul can say it so clearly at the end of Galatians 3. He says in verse 28, he says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all in in one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here's the implications that I want you to see this morning. If you are in Christ, if you are a believer this morning, and you believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that means that God had you in mind before Jesus came into the world. When God is talking to Abraham about this promise, he's talking about you, believer. He's saying, this is Ben Tugwell, is one of the guys that I want that is going to be part of your offspring. Todd Hamill is one of the guys. Chris Mall does the sound, one of the guys. Stephen Peck is one of our deacons, one of the guys, one of the gals, one of the gals who became a believer. That's who I'm talking about. God had you in mind. When God tells Abraham this offspring that it would be like the stars, the heavens, grains of the sand, he was talking about people like you. He's talking about people like the young girl in the missionaries' church that we sent out who became a believer. He's talking about people who shared their baptism stories a few weeks ago that we heard who became believers. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about this beautiful picture of the gospel that would multiply the world. So I tell you the end so that you can appreciate the story and you can see the weight of it. And here's the other implication I want you to see. God is not going to stop saving people until he returns. God said this to Abraham thousands of years ago, and he's been adding to that number of offspring daily throughout the world to this thing called the church. And this should give us confidence to share the gospel. If you want to know who Abraham's offspring are, go share the gospel. And I promise you, if you keep sharing the gospel, someone's going to get saved, and you're going to find offspring that belong to this promise. And I have confidence to know that God is going to save more people in Greenville because of what he promised to Abraham, which means our work is not through yet, Integrity Church. I have confidence that we need to raise up more missionaries and church planters and send them out wherever they end up, because wherever they end up, God says, hey, if you preach the gospel, you're going to find offspring. You're going to find this promise, and you're going to see it happen all around you. 
That's why I have confidence believing that, sending our money in places that promote the local church advancing the gospel because I believe that God is going to continue to save people until he returns. And I'm convinced that if we believe in this promise, we believe that this promise is true, then we should position our lives around the gospel. We should position our lives around the gospel because this is why Christ came. We exist, Integrity Church. Believers in Integrity Church, hear me when I say this. As you are called to be, bring a, be an offspring of Abraham, as he says, through the seed of Christ who died on the cross for you, that means others will be too, and God has given us this privilege and this calling to go and find the rest. Go and find them. And we have confidence to know that as we share the gospel, we will find more. We will find the rest. And that's our goal as a church. And I don't care how well or eloquently you share the gospel, but I can tell you this. We can be confident to know that when we do, people will become believers. People will get saved. No, no, not every time. Most of the time you won't. But as you do, faithfully, sacrificially, as you spend your money, as you spend your time, as you spend your resources, I'm telling you that this is worth it to find this offspring that God promises will continue to show up until he returns. And so friends, Integrity Church, how have you positioned your life to find them? If you're timid to share, perhaps this truth will give you great confidence. And perhaps it would require the faith that Abraham had to believe that God is going to show him this offspring. Perhaps we would have that faith as well as we go and share the gospel throughout the world. God help us. Let us pray.